Praise God. Go to 1 Timothy 3.3. 3. Uh, we were uh, going to go back to Revelation 21.8. I've uh, got a number of people out that went to a wedding, especially young people, uh, that went to a wedding that's a couple hours away. And I thought, you know what? My next one of Revelation 21.8 is going to be on drugs. It's not like, oh, yeah, they definitely want to hear the young people hear that. Well, not because they're on drugs. Thank God they're not in our fellowship. But they're, they need to know these things because we're going to get some really heavy stuff and what the Bible says about drugs. You know, I just did two messages on alcohol a couple weeks ago on our Wednesday night messages. And I think it's going to be one of the most eye-opening messages, hopefully, ever given. Uh, maybe a couple parts on, on drugs and hallucinogens and ayahuasca and, and uh, microdosing, which even a lot of conservative pundits in the news, people that you know and think are great, are encouraging people that it's a good thing. It's demonic, man. Okay, and we're going to get into this and show how Satan, that's what was happening in the 60s. Been there, done that. Well, long before the 60s, man, it was happening. Those were the incantations from Satan in the, in the Old and during the New Testament times. It's nothing new under the sun, guys, but it's a revival, a revival of darkness in the end of days. But every once in a while, I'll take what I'm doing on Wednesdays, and I'll bring a message over to a Sunday, and vice versa. So I want you to just uh, go to 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, which is our first verse, and we've covered this verses 1 through 3 already in the entire book of 1 Timothy up to 3.3, 3. but I wanted to do one more message on the last few words of 1 Timothy 3.3 3 and get into other scriptures with this, but in verse 3 it says that if one is going to be an overseer, these are the qualifications for an elder, he's not to be addicted with, to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, we've covered all this. Free from what? The love of money. So when you appoint elders, you're not getting guys that just love money, you know? You want them to love God first, amen? Because you can't serve two masters, amen? So, uh, and love of money is incredibly destructive. You know, think of Esau, right? Or the love of pleasure, even. Because in 2 Timothy 3, 3, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the next book over, to Timothy again, he warns that in the last days, he says, perilous, the King James Version, times will come. Terrible times will come. Uh, NASB, difficult times will come. NIV, uh, men will be lovers of self, covetous, or lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy. It also says lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You want to make sure you're not putting pleasure before God or money before God. And I said last week, you know how you know you're putting pleasure or money before God? If you're making decisions that are contrary to God's will so you can have money, that shows that you're truly, really a servant of God. Money, mammon. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Either you love one, hate the other, or you'll hate one and love the other. And you're a lover of pleasure more than lovers of God if you know God's word says adultery is wrong, but you commit adultery. Or you know homosexuality is wrong, but you say, I'm going to still be a homosexual anyway. Or you know that stealing is wrong, or you know that uh, doing pharmacia, drugs, is wrong, but you continue to do it anyway, even though you know what God's word says, man. That shows who your God is. And we've got to be serious here. Amen. I praise God, man. I've, even though we have millions of people watch our videos, by the grace of God, that's the Lord's doing. Believe me, it's not our doing, you know. And, but it's amazing. You still preach the word, and you preach it faithfully, and we've done that through years, through the years. And guess what? A lot of people aren't going to want to just hear the straight word of God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 
to preach the word to Timothy in season, out of season, right? When it's popular or not popular, right? When people are ready for it or not, preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they won't heed sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they'll heap themselves. Many teachers will tickle the ears and tell them what they want to hear, and they'll be turned away from the truth to mythology. And that's what happens today. You're going to have these mega churches who are going to tell people what they want to hear. They're not going to talk a lot about hell, if, if at all. They're not going to use the word repentance, and that's one of the Major guys, Rick Warren, says he doesn't use the word repentance. Well, yeah, obviously. Uh, they're going to leave out the fact that you need to become a disciple to be a true follower of Christ, amen? And they're going to say you don't really have to be a disciple. You could just be a Christian and accept the gift of Christ but reject being a follower of Christ. In fact, in our first show, if you check out the thing that we just did on the Jesus Revolution movie, we show, I sh show clips of, of Greg Laurie saying just that. He has these big altar calls, but he tells people you just can receive Jesus as a gift. You don't have to follow him. That's optional. No, that's satanic, man. Okay? This is serious because it's leaving people dead in their sins when they come up to these altar calls and they accept Jesus. Oh, come into my heart, but they continue in adultery. They continue in drugs. They continue in alcoholism. They continue beating their wife. They continue in adultery and fornication and homosexuality and all these things. They think, I'm going to heaven. And it's a lie. So we've got to truly, truly, truly follow Jesus, man. Because he says if we don't love him more than everybody else, we're not worthy of him. Amen? Yes. He says you've got to take up your cross, deny yourself daily, and follow me. And he says, what is it profit to gain the whole world and lose your soul? He that saves his life will lose it. He that loses his life will save it. It's a salvation issue whether you're going to turn to Christ or not and be sincere. So this is serious, serious stuff, folks. And we want to make sure we're putting the Lord above everything. And here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it warns that leaders must make sure they're not lovers of money because you can't serve two masters. And it's amazing to me because I've been, you know, going through my, you know, one year, uh, trying to get through the Bible in a year, along with all the other studies. And it's kind of tough because I'm always studying the Scripture, but then it's like, okay, go through verse by verse as well, reading the entire Scripture. But then I like to study what I'm reading through as well and going through it because certain things I like to check out more than others. So you're always juggling things, right? And I'm like, but I went th when I was going through Numbers, in Numbers, just Balaam's story. Because I'm at 1 Timothy 3, 3. And the same time I was going through Numbers, at that part where Balaam loves money, right, more than God, and is a prophet speaking for God, I thought, wow, man, this is exactly what I've been in 1 Timothy 3, 3, not being lovers of money. And he's a leader. He's a prophet of God. And I thought, you know, I'm going to use that illustration because it's such a powerful illustration of being careful, whether you're a leader or not, just as a Christian. Oh, well, I'm not a Christian, therefore I can love money more than God. No. Or I'm not a leader. No, you can't, you know. All eight dollars. And we're in Revelation 21.8. I'm sorry, 22.15, right? And who will go to the lake of fire in 21.8? And then will I enter the holy city? 22.15? Idolaters. And I showed last week in our study in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3 that greed, the love of money, is idolatry. That's what it says. very clear. That's why Jesus says you can't serve God and money. Mammon means the Greek word refers to money. So, brothers and sisters, uh, I want you to go to Numbers chapter 22. Because if you go to Numbers 21, which you don't need to do, you'll see that they're coming into the promised land and they enter in, in, in they've, you know, uh, just prior to even 21, you see that Jericho is destroyed, which is just outside the city, right? Or just in, uh, and then they come in, and then the Amorites, they destroy. And then the Moabites and so forth are like freaking out. It's like, who's this mass amount of people? Because it's millions of people that just swelled and grew in Egypt as slaves. And God set them free through the Red Sea. Now they're coming into the promised land, 
right? Yeah. And there's a sight to behold. And they're wiping Jericho, boom. Then, then the Amorites, boom. Now it's like, oh no, what's going to go on now? And then the Moabites are shaking their boots because they're wicked people, man. And the Canaanites were incredibly wicked. They were having sex with animals. They were sacrificing their children to the different gods like Moloch and Baal and the different Canaanite gods. Uh, and they were just living these atrocious, wicked lives. And God said, this is my land, you know. If you've got a renter that rents a home from you, right, <laughs> and it's your home, and they're sacrificing their children, having sex with animals and stuff. You're going to try to boot them out of your home. Well, this isn't just God's home. God is God. There's one lawgiver that's able to save and destroy. And they were jettisoned out of land. Many of them were put to death. Not all of them, the Israelites, didn't get all of them out. And God, because God warned, you'll be infected by them and do the same things they do if you don't expel them from the land. And sure enough, that happened. But as we're coming to the land, we read in chapter 22, verse 1, Then the sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan, opposite Jericho. Now Balak, uh, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So he's the king, you know, of Moab. So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Moab said to the elders of Midian, now this horde will lick us, lick up all this around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab at that time. So he sent messengers to Balaam. Balaam was a prophet, the son of Beor at Pithor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of the people, to call him. Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. Now, therefore, please come, curse this people. Uh, he says, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty uh, for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom uh, is blessed is blessed, and he whom is cursed, uh, he, uh, he whom you curse, I'm sorry, is cursed. So it's interesting. He's employing the prophet to prophesy against Israel and to curse them. They recognize, and as most cultures do around the world, that there's a spiritual world. That there's angels, good and bad, and that there's a spiritual world. He wants them to be cursed. And then we, hear, we read this uh, in verse 7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees of divination. So you've got a bunch of their elders and the Moabites and, and, and those who joined with them, the Midianites, uh, in their land. And they came to Balaam. And repeated Balak's words to him. He said to them, Spend the night here, and I will bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me. And the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. Behold, now it's interesting, he has a relationship with God. He's going to have true prophecies. You know, but watch what happens. It's really crazy. We read this. Behold, there is a people who came out of Egypt, and they cover the surface of the land. Now come curse them to me. He's reciting what uh, you know, the counselors or the elders, I should say, of Balak said to him. Perhaps I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, go back to your land, uh, to the Lord, and has refused to let me go with you. So the leaders of Moab arose and went back to Balak and said, Balaam refused to, to come with us. Then Balak, again, sent leaders more numerous and more distinguished than the former. So he's like, man, I'm going to send my best dignitaries, right? 
my best ambassadors to talk to Balaam, you know. And Balaam must be a pretty highly regarded prophet, man, because he's, you know, he's not having him killed. He's like, have him come and do this. He really wants him because he's seen some truth with this guy, or at least some power, right? Verse 16. They came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me. For I will indeed honor you richly. Money, 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 money. And I will do whatever you say to me. Please come then, curse this people for me. Balaam replied to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, maybe hint, hint going on there, I could not do anything, either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. And by the way, Lord right there is Yahweh. He is the name of Yahweh there. Okay? So some of them want to discount who this guy is. It's like, wait a minute, man. He's talking about Yahweh, his God, right? And it's interesting. In verse 19, it says, Now please, you also stay here tonight. And I will find what else the Lord will speak to me. Ooh, isn't that interesting? Why doesn't he just send them away like he did last time? First time he said, well, let me hear from the Lord. He heard from the Lord. And he said, nope, it's not going to happen. This time he said, no, the Lord said, no. He's made it so clear, you know, right? Uh, but you know what? Maybe you could just hang out for a little bit. You know, I'll talk to the Lord again. Maybe he'll give me some more info. In other words, I think he's think looking for a loophole. And I believe uh, we'll see that a little bit later in the text. Yeah, it's very interesting because some read this. And they're like, man, and at first glance, if you read it, it's like, wait, he did exactly what the Lord told him to do. Why does God say, you know, you don't read in the Old Testament in this, this passage, is 22, 23, 24, 25, uh, where he does anything wrong. So why does God judge him? And why is he held? I mean, there's more scripture talking about Balak, more passages talking about Balak, and more words about Balak than, than Mary. So much for Catholicism, you know, and the whole mother of God thing, right? And praying to Mary. There's a lot more on Balak than Mary in the scripture. Uh, he's even mentioned the New Testament, you know, a few different times and talked about as well. Now, it's interesting. He says, now please stay here tonight and I will find out, verse 19, what else the Lord will speak to me. Because he says, Balak's like got the higher dignitaries and we're going to give you silver, gold, everything, all kinds of stuff, you know. Basically, he's presuming he can get whatever he wants because that's what he's told. Uh, God came, verse 20, to Balaam at night and said to him, now it's interesting, you have a little change here. And God's going to use Balaam's greed, I believe, and Balaam looking for a loophole, and he's going to use it to bring judgment. You're going to see. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, uh, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only, now this is interesting, but only the word which I speak to you shall you do. Verse 21. So Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. Verse 22. But God was angry because he was going. Interesting. Well, didn't God just say go? And now he's like angry that he's going? Well, we're going to look into that in more depth a little bit later in the message. What's going on there? Because those who are, you know, anti-God, you know, and anti-God's word will say, oh, there's a contradiction here. God says go. And then he says, what are you going for? And then he pulls out all the stops trying to stop him. Well, they're missing the they're not paying it closely to the t text because, and I love this. I love it when people think they have Bible discrepancies. And then when you look more into them, it always just, wow, Lord. You know, you give people enough rope to hang themselves that they don't really love truth. But if you love truth and you search things out, you f always find the answers eventually. But I, I've always said one of my hardest 
scriptures to ever deal with when I was a brand new Christian was chapter 22 of the book of Genesis. God telling Isaac, Abraham, to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. I'm like, Lord, you're against human sacrifice. You know, what's going on here? But I'm like, nope, you're testing him. I know that. So I know your word's true. I just don't understand it. That became one of the most, that became for quite a while the most, my the most favorite passage in all the Bible. When you start to realize that Isaac's a picture of Jesus, God giving his son later, and he tells Abraham, don't offer up Isaac. This becomes a picture. And Abraham says, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. It's a passion play. 2,000 years before Christ was taken up the same mountaintop, Abraham says, 2,000 Lord, it's going to be seen. It was it's a prophecy. And you're like, and later I'm a little bit more mature Christian. I'm looking at Scripture. I'm like, Lord. And Jesus says, Abraham desired to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. You're like, Paul, the Bible says, the gospel was preached ahead of time to Abraham. Wow. In Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham offered up Isaac as a picture. It was just a picture as a tupas and brought it back up again, a picture of Christ's resurrection. God's word's powerful, guys. And it's like, I love the so-called discrepancies because when you see what's going on there, you're like, man, you can never be liberal when you start to understand the typologies and how God weaves through history sovereignly the pictures of Christ and exalts Jesus in them. Amen. So where was I at, guys? (laughs) Okay. So now we look at verse uh, 22. But God was angry because he was going. Okay, now it's interesting. He was angry because he was going. And and he says in verse 12, back in 12, why? Well, God said to Balaam, do not go with them, right? uh, You shall not curse the people. But now he's angry that, you know, because he's going and the angel of the Lord took a stand. Isn't this interesting? The angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Who's the, do you, anybody know who the angel of the Lord is in the Old Testament? We've talked about this before. Who's the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament? He's, this isn't just an angel Lord. This is the angel Lord. It's a pre-incarnation of Christ, the Christophany. You can also call it a theophany because God, Jesus is God, amen, amen, appearing as the angel of the Lord. And we've done angel of the Lord studies, and you see the angel of the Lord is bowed down to and worshiped as God. You can't bow down before angels. Angel has a couple different understandings. You have to understand an angel could be ontologically uh, 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 referred to the supernatural being God, or angel could certainly angelos, like in the Greek, for instance, translated angel, uh, can refer to simply a messenger. So when they're, they're beings that are created beings, they're simply messengers that represent God. When it refers to the angel of the Lord, so often in the Old Testament, it refers to Yahweh himself because God in the person, in, 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 in a, taking a human form, God not literally becoming flesh, it's not, not God and man becoming one, but it's God using a human form to communicate to man. But guess what? This isn't something that's seen right here. This is in the spiritual world. And the, guess who does see it? First, the donkey sees the angel of the Lord. God opens the eyes of the donkey before he opens the eyes of Balaam. Verse 23, Then the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword. Woo! And Jesus has a sword drawn, man. Oh, he's come back with the, with the sword of his mouth to destroy the Antichrist. The brightness of his coming and the spirit of his mouth. And a sword protrudes out of his mouth. Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 21. When he saw the, the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Wow. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyards with a wall 
on this side and a wall on that side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. Big old heavy donkey, man, that's got to hurt. So he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where uh, there was no way to turn to the right hand or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, the angel, uh, I like this, man. The, the, uh, she lay down under Balaam. She's like, okay, if I'm going to try to press left or right, I'm not going to get by, and I don't want to get my head chopped off. I'm just going to lay down, you know. And she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. Wow. Wow, man. That's crazy. Now, you know. And then verse 28, it's interesting. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Well, the open the mouth of the donkey, that's just kind of, kind of crazy, huh? You know? You're laughing, but guess what? He opened your mouth and you were just dirt. Same, so was I. He, had, he's, he could speak. He could let dirt speak, right? We were from the dust of the ground, right? Uh, you know, Satan used the serpent, right? I mean, puppets. He's a, he's a puppet master. Uh, we, God uses the donkey here. He opens his mouth. Gives him the voice of a man even, you know? Don donkey's kind of like speaking in human tongues, you know? He's got the gift of tongues in some way, you know? Not the same as the gift of tongues that we talk about. You know, I think I thought about that. It's like he's got the gift of tongues, you know? But tongues of men, tongues of angels, and I don't know exactly what this was, but that's kind of a trip, right? So the Lord opened the mouth, but keep in mind, he already opened his eyes. He opened his eyes before he opened Balaam's eyes. God could speak through, through a donkey? Yeah. Satan spoke through the serpent. God created the entire universe. That's an easy thing for God to do. Amen? That's like one of the easier things that God does. Amen? In fact, we read, and there's a third animal, not just the serpent and the donkey here, but in Revelation chapter 8, you see, you see the angel or an eagle flying through the mid-heaven saying, whoa, whoa, whoa to the earth, right? Whoa, there's three more jump, trumpet judgments. See, now it's the next three trumpet judgments. You know, God uses animals. He used ravens to feed Elijah. Amen? And I believe he's going to take care of believers, and it's very possible that he'll use uh, animals and so forth to take care of believers during the tribulation period because he's done that in the past. And that was a 42-month period that he, Elijah was being fed and it was a prophetic picture of the tribulation. So it's quite interesting when you think about it. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you <laughs> that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made... Now this is kind of a trip because he's talking to the donkey now. That's a trip too, right? And you're laughing at that, but how many of you talk to your animals? Come on, let's not be hypocritical here, okay? I talk to my animals all the time, man. I don't always think they understand me. That's when you're like, you know, Lisa, when all the chemtrails were going around and stuff, and I'm like, we only, we only speak about things that we have really clear documentation on, baby, and we're like having a little discussion. I go, man, there are, and I go, yeah, it's kind of a trip, you know? And I've looked at the different explanations for chemtrails, but, but I, and she, and I, go, I go, make sure you don't get on the chemtrail scene because you, you don't want to stay focused on Jesus. Because she's just thinking, she goes, it's kind of weird, though. And I like that she's inquisitive. She wants to check things out. We look at her, and we're like, okay, what are these things? And, and I'm talking to her, and we have a little, little dog. What was that dog at the time? That was Bella. Lisa's so funny. She goes, Bella believes me about the chemtrails. <laughs> I still laugh when I, think, I get chuckled when I think when she said that. I was like, that's funny. You know? Not that there wasn't anything to the chemtrails, but I like the slam dunk stuff, you know, because that's the, there's so much power in what we can't expose that the enemy's doing, right? And uh, 
And then when you can expose something, you say, well, this is something concrete about this or that, chemtrails, whatever, then expose it. But make sure you don't lose. So many people get in way off into conspiracy. At least it was never like that. They get way off into conspiracy theories that don't have a whole lot of merit. And they focus on that. And they stop telling people about Jesus. Lisa always tells people Jesus. So she's not in that category. But I was kind of playing with her. I go, yeah, there's chemtrails. I go, I go, be careful. You know, just playing with her. And she's like, Bella talks to me about the, or understands the chemtrails. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we talk to animals. You know, I'm, I'm usually saying off to my, you know, my, my uh, giant schnauzer because he just wants to be your best friend. He thinks he's like a three-month-year-old kid and wants to always be on your lap, you know. So it's like at work every time he comes in, which is almost every day. <sighs> Give me some space. Okay, now I'll come and pet you. Okay, you got five, ten minutes of petting. Go lay down. Once more, you know. So we're constantly talking to our animals, right? But they don't usually talk back to you, Okay. <laughs> Oh, they might a little bit, like I've taught Jarvis to speak and roll over, stuff like that. And, he'll, but, and you can understand some of the things they're saying by the kind of bark when they're coming up. It's, they're happy to see you. But this is like articulate, the voice of a man, and he is tripping out. This isn't like he's trying, he's trying to understand and interpret his tongue there. No, he's speaking in the, the Hebrew language here. So it's interesting. What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? He's reasoning with him too. <laughs> then Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a mockery of me, if there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. Wow. Verse 30. Then the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do this to you? And he said, No. <laughs> this is so weird. Verse 31. Then the, Lord, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed all the way to the ground. He realized the irony here, the little play on what's going on there. Now he's going to like, ooh, I would have lost my head, you know, you know by, the angel, by the angel of the Lord if, I, if he would have kept walking. So he's realizing his donkey kind of saved his life, right? Verse 32, the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, yeah, I like it. That God's not into animal abuse, guys. As Christians, we should be strongly, don't make that your main issue. Make Jesus your main issue, amen? But we are, we're not for polluting the planet, but, we, but we're not for abusing animals. We should, as Christians, I mean, Adam and Eve were given stewardship over the earth, amen? So we praise God for animals. As Christians, we stand against all the wickedness of the world. And it just so happens that the world has got a lot of it, some of its morality from Christians. It was Christians that were against abuse of Kids, abuse of people, the Romans sticking their kids to die on the wall in ancient Rome when the church was new. The Christians would take them in. Putting plague people out, the Christians would even risk getting plagues and take them in. Okay? The, the Christians were the head of the abolitionist movement that ended slavery. Okay? Oh, but weren't there some Christians that were into slavery and stuff? I'm sorry, I have a hard time believing that you can say you can pay for slaves taken from their land and be a Christian. That's my personal conviction. I have a real hard time. I'm going to leave that before God. But guess what? True Christianity stands up for what's right. And we also stand against the pollution of the world. We also stand against abusing animals and abusing kids and killing them in the womb. We don't pick and choose. We say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, based on what God has said. Amen. We don't pick and choose like people say, save the trees, save the wills, but it's okay to butcher the babies in the womb. We also stand for godly marriage because we don't want to see a ton of people die through abnormal sexuality. A bunch of people committing suicide because they're told by their little, by their mom, well, really, I wanted a boy. Or really, I wanted a girl. Or maybe they don't say that, but sometimes it seems to be that, you know. And a lot of people are dying. The highest suicide rate is among trans, transsexuals and stuff. It breaks my heart. But we're the bad guys because we say the emperor has no clothes, <laughs> yeah. you know. 
No, we have to speak the truth. And the Bible says all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And we stand up for the truth, even though it hurts at times. Amen? So it's interesting. His eyes are opened up, and he sees the donkey. And it's inter- I mean, he sees, the, I'm sorry, the angel of the Lord. And, uh, and he falls down and, and worships him. Or not worships him. I mean, there was the angel of the Lord. Jesus is the only, by the way, Jesus is the only one. The angel of the Lord gets worshipped throughout the, the Bible in the Old Testament because he's Jesus. And the angels that aren't the angel of the Lord, that are regular just messenger angels, you bow down before them, that's wicked. And they say, don't worship me, you worship God. But in Revelation chapter 5, when Jesus is worshipped along with the Father, the same praise that goes to the Father, goes to Jesus, and Jesus says, well, the Father, that, that you honor me as you honor him, and then you honor him, and they get worshipped. Praise God. All the angels that says worshipped him. Jesus doesn't say, get up. When John, the, you know, doesn't say stop worshipping me to these angels. In fact, it's given, we're given that view to see and understand who Jesus is. He's the God-man. But here we see that he realizes what's going on here. And verse 33, but the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times, the angel of the Lord says. Verse 33, if she had not turned aside from me, I would surely have killed you just now and let her live. Be smarter than your animals. Don't let your animals be smarter than you guys. Okay? The birds, it says, worship the Lord. Don't let them worship. No bird's going to sing in my house more than me to Jesus. Amen? Verse 34. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Now then. And it's like, wait a minute. Did he, God, didn't God say go? Yes or no? And then why is he now in trouble? Because he's going. Didn't God just say, just don't curse them and let him go? Well, there's nuance in the text, which we'll look at a little bit. Now then, if it is displeasing to you, I will turn back. But now look, something very interesting happens. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, because now God's going to use this situation. He uses people's free will in their decisions. It's kind of a trip how this thing plays out. Because he's the ultimate chess player. Amen. It's very easy to use people if you script them and they're automatons or robots. That wouldn't take nearly as much power as using people who have free moral agency and are accountable for listening to you or not listening to you and then still making everything work out to your glory. Amen? But the angel of the Lord, verse 35, said to Balaam, Go with the men, but you shall speak only the word which I tell you. So Balaam went along with the leaders of Balak. Wow. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is, one of, uh, which is on Arnon, a border at the extreme end of the border. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not urgently send to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? And I am really unable to honor you. Am I really unable to honor you? So Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come now to you. Am I able to speak anything at all? The word of the Lord puts in my mouth, that I shall speak. Now, I like the fact that he said, okay, hey, I'm going to be faithful now. Okay, I'm going to be faithful. There's something going on in his heart. He's struggling, which you'll see later. And Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kerioth Ahuzoth, and Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent some to Balaam and the leaders who were with him. Then it came about in the morning that Balak took Balaam, Balak the king took of the Moabites, take, took Balaam the prophet, and brought him up to the high places of Baal. And he saw from there a portion of the people. 
They're really high, but they still can't see all the people because it's like a few million people there. When you look at the numbering of the leaders of Israel and so forth and the men that are numbered, you got hundreds and hundreds of thousands, like 700 and some thousand or so. Now you got to count for women and kids. So you're talking about a, a, a few million people here or so. Verse, uh, chapter 23, Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for, uh, for me here, and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Wow. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offerings, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord, perhaps, and this is interesting, perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to, bear, to, uh, to a bare hill. Now God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have set up the seven altars, and I have offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then the Lord, that, then the Yahweh, this is Yahweh, it's the true God, uh, put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and you shall speak thus. So he returned to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, he and all the leaders of Moab. He took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak, has brought me, Moab's king, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. That's what Balak was saying to him, right? How shall I curse from God what God has not cursed? How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? As I see him from the top of the rocks, and I look at him from the hills, behold, a people who dwells apart, and now they're separated, it's interesting, and will not be reckoned among the nations. Wow, he's, they're not going to be reckoned among the nations. They're separate from the nations because they're all in their encampment, right? And now he sees this huge encampment. And they were called to encamp from the north to the south to the east to the west, right? And what were they encamping? What was in the center of their encampment? The tabernacle where God met the people, where the sacrifice of Israel were taking place to the one true God that were a picture of Christ. Yes, sir. Okay, it's quite interesting. And he stationed the different tribes North, south, east, and west. So you see these like these lines. You would see, guess what you would see? A huge what? Cross. A huge cross. In the middle of the cross, the sacrifice is taking place in all God's people. It's crazy. It gets better. Okay? And he wants to curse him. <laughs> he wants to curse him. And then we read this, verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number forth a part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let, me end be like, uh, let my end be like this. Then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have actually blessed them. Okay, wow. He replied, must I not be careful to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Then Balak said to him, because Balak's not concerned about God's word, God true, worshiping God. He just wants power. He could bow down and repent and say, spare my life. I can't believe I want to curse people that God doesn't want to curse. Have mercy on me, right? Verse 13. Then Balak said to him, please come with me to another place. Now he's trying to do something, right? He's trying to keep it up and trying to get this done. From where you may see them. Although, let's go another place. Maybe he can see more of them and have more power over them because that's one of the beliefs then. Although you will not see the extreme end of them, and will not see all of them. God showed us how many people were there, a ton of them, and cursed them for me, uh, for me there. So he took him to the field and so forth. And, and, and the text goes on and on. And what happens is, if, if we go through all of chapter 23, all of chapter 24, I'm not going to be saying a whole lot because there's going to be a pronouncement after pronouncement after pronouncement. He's going to bless, bless God's people a few different times. 
He's going to even give messianic prophecy about Jesus and talk about how a ruler shall come out of, out of Judah, right? Of Messiah, a messianic prophecy of, the, of Christ. And the scepter shall not depart from Judah, right? Until he comes. I mean, God's, God's going to be there and he's going to deliver his people. Way back in, in Numbers, well, guess what? M most of the most beautiful typologies of Jesus coming to Savior the world are in the book of Genesis, actually, the first book. So it's already, God already has got this all planned out, amen? So you have all these, you know, he's trying to curse them. But Balaam is not cursing them. He keeps pronouncing blessing upon them. And, and you see a long prophecy in chapter 23 and then chapter 24. When Balaam, verse 1 of chapter 24, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as if other times to seek omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. Isn't that interesting? And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe because they were set up as tribes in the form of a cross. Okay? And the Spirit came upon him. And by the way, when you looked at the number of the tribes of Israel and how they were situated south and north, east and west around the tabernacle, the long, the long part, there was a long part because Judah was like one of the tribes that was in the long part because they were the biggest tribe. So you would have a long part, the tabernacle, and a short part above the tabernacle. And then the other direction, you would have two about the same size parts. And right in the middle, like that cross right there, you'd have Judah and other tribes. Then you have the other tribes, and then you have the other tribes up there. But it, made, it formed a cross. We looked at the dimensions. Remember we did a men's retreat years ago when I talked about the cross formation? I put all the chairs before my message in the men's retreat, and I put all the chairs in the form of a big cross. And we all sat there, and I went through uh, not the same message. It's quite different than this message because I didn't go, go through all this text. But I mentioned that we are uh, Christians. We are in the cross. We are in Christ. Amen. And they were safe. They could not be cursed while they were in the cross formation, obedient to the Lord, depending upon the sacrifices that pointed to Christ. Quite interesting. And uh, yeah, it says in, in verse 2, And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw the Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Right? And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eyes is, eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees a vision of the Almighty falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your, your dwellings, O Israel, like the valleys. And it just goes on. And it's just all these you know, beautiful prophecies. And, and look at verse, nine, verse 8. God brings him out of Egypt, speaking of Israel, right? Jacob, which his name was changed to Israel. Uh, for he, uh, he is for him like the horns of a wild ox. He will devour the nations who are his adversaries and crush their bones in pieces and shatter them with his arrows. Verse 9. He couches. He, he, he's like a, uh, he lies down like a lion. And a lion, he dares rouse him. Blessed is everyone. Now look at this. Blesses everyone who what? Blesses you, Israel. And curses everyone who curses you. Yeah, Balak's like, uh-oh, I'm going to be cursed. I'm going to be cursed, right, if I curse Israel. Now this is quite interesting because when you look at what's going on there, he's going to curse those who cursed him, verse 9. Think of world history, man. I mean, think of those who tried to curse Israel during Israel's day. You've read the book of Esther? What happened when Haman tried to destroy all of Israel? And then he built gallows, right? For Mordecai? He hung on his own gallows. Remember that? I mean, you could look at the history of the world, man. You could look at the Byzantine Empire. 
and what they tried to do to the Jews. You could look at what happened to them. You could look at what happened to the Assyrians. You could look at what happened to the Persians. You could look at what happened to the Babylonians. In, in more modern history, you could look at what happened, not really modern history, but you can just keep going through history to the, the Spanish Empire. Spain expelled all the Jews they could from Spain, and boy, they, went through it. they went through it afterwards. What happened to Nazi Germany? They tried to wipe out all the Jews, remember? Hitler didn't just try to kill the Jews. About six million of them he killed just in his, his country. But the countries around him, he went into 20 nations, including making pacts with Arab nations to destroy the Jews and took Jews from 20 different nations trying to exterminate them. A demon-possessed man. This is, what, this is the spiritual warfare that's going on. Okay? And right now you have Hamas, right? And these terrorist organizations working with a lot of the Arabs in the Middle East who want to wipe Israel off the face of the map. And it's just quite crazy when you think about what's going on. God's word says there in verse 9, through the prophet Balaam, blesses everyone who blesses you and curse is everyone who curses you. After World War II, what happened to Germany, man? They were practically destroyed. They were, East and West Germany were separated. The, the allied forces of the, of the West, the United States, Britain, and so forth, took over Western Germany and, and oversaw them. And the Eastern Germany, the Berlin Wall separated them. The, the Russians, which was the Soviet Union back then, uh, was ruling over the eastern part of Germany. And then eventually that wall was torn down and Germany was united and God gave reprieve and gave them an opportunity to get right with him. But man, you mess with, you curse Israel, you're going to get cursed, you know? And, uh, and then so many of the Nazis, you know, fled to other countries in South America and so forth and their families to hide from the persecution uh, that they deserve now. I'm not saying all their family, all the kids and stuff, but, you know, the leaders and so forth were being hunted for years. Numbers chapter 24, 9 we looked at, but listen to Nehemiah 13, 2. This is not an isolated passage. It says, Because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam, some of the Moabites, against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. I'll tell you what, man, if you are in Christ... Some people say, oh, have you been delivered from the curses related to, you know, it's deliverance ministries that teach that Christians can be possessed by demons. True Christians cannot be possessed by demons, guys. If, if you don't have possession, you need to bow before the Lord and say, give your heart fully to the Lord, and he'll deliver you, turn to Jesus. But he doesn't, but guess what? It's interesting. It says God turned the curse into a blessing. So well, what if a witch is trying to put curses on me? Greater is, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If God before you, you could be against you. We're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Amen? Amen. So something you've got to deal with, all these curses from your past family members and all that stuff, that's a lie, man. Because Jesus bore the curse for us on the cross. Amen. We are not under the curse anymore, guys. Amen? Now, it doesn't mean you can't get attacked. It doesn't mean that, you, you know, that there's not demonic principalities attacking you. But that doesn't mean you're cursed. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we don't rest against flesh and blood. It's not just from people. Demonic entities will attack you. That's why you need to take up the full armor of God so you can stand in the evil day. Amen? And resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But don't think that you're under a curse because and that's what millions of Christians have been taught that I'm cursed because my, I had an aunt or something that was into witchcraft. So I got to get this curse lifted from me. No, not if you're in Christ, you're not in a curse. You're in Christ. Amen? And he could curse them while they were in the cross formation. Are you with me tonight? tonight today? Praise God. And God will turn what Satan tries to do against you when you're in Christ into a blessing. Isn't that a blessing? I love that. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 5. Uh, Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam. That's interesting. It wasn't willing to listen to Balaam. What, where does that come from? But the Lord your God, that's a key right there, by the way. 
He wasn't willing to listen to Balaam. That shows me that Balaam was looking for a loophole. Let me talk to the Lord, stay the night, and see what happens. You've got to put all Scripture together. But we'll get what, what was going on there. We'll get into that a little bit. Nevertheless, the Lord your God, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 5, was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. We are the beloved of the Lord in Christ Jesus. Amen. But keep a little, little check mark, Deuteronomy 23, 5. Ooh, Balaam was actually making a request to curse him. Deep down, he wanted to curse them because he wanted what? He wanted the riches. So it was like, but it wouldn't come out of his mouth because God wasn't going to let it happen, you know. Genesis 12, 3, way back in Genesis, God promises to Abraham, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Reiterated in Genesis chapter 27, first book of the Bible, verse 29. May people serve you, and nations bow down to you, be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. That was already set in motion. And those who have cursed Israel, well, wait a minute. I mean, why is God protecting them? Those who are faithful, that are encamped around the cross, are relying on the Lord God. He made a covenant with them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that through them, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his seed, which is Jesus. And then the gospel's gone out all the world. That's why we're not under curse if we're, because that cross would expand. And the, the seed of Abraham would be like the stars of the sky and the sand, the, 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 the little pieces of sand, little grains of sand, way beyond natural Israel. It says in chapter 3 of the book of Galatians, it says that we are heirs of Abraham, uh, the promises to Abraham, and that we're children of Abraham through faith. We've been grafted in among the Jews. Amen. We're not Israel. Israel's Israel. But guess what? We're part of the olive tree that makes up the church, which is made up of true, uh, those who truly trust Jesus among Jews and Gentiles. Amen. Look at the, this is the covenant God made. Oh, God's done with Israel. A lot of people that are subscribed to replacement theology, the church has replaced Israel. A lot of people in Reformed, the Reform movement mean that. A lot of people in Dominionism, a lot of people that are preterist, which say, oh, prophecy's already passed. God's done with Israel. You know, he, he's done it. We're, we're the Israel of God now. Well, really? Listen to this. Numbers chapter 20, uh, Numbers, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35 and 36. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who, who disturbs the sea and the, its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart for before me, the sun, the moon, the stars, Right? If they pass, if they depart before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. So the sun, moon, the stars, when they cease to exist, then they won't be it. Then, 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 okay, then the Israel will be done. By the way, is there stars still coming out? Is it light outside? That's a, that sun is just one of those stars, by the way. It just happens to be close to our earth. God's not done with Israel, guys. In fact, read the New Testament, Romans 11. It warns about not being high-minded and think that you're an elite, elect person, that God's chosen me, you know? That it says, don't be high-minded against the branches that were broken off because of unbelief, but fear because if the natural branches were broken off, they're the natural branches of Jews. How much more can you be broken off? You stand by faith. Consider, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. Severity toward them because they fell, but goodness toward you if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. 
from the tree. And then he goes on to say that all Israel shall be saved. And the context there is Israel, the Jews that have been broken off, that God will restore them when the deliverer comes from Zion. They'll see the one whom they have pierced and all Israel will be saved. And all Israel there will be the remnant who truly from the heart puts their trust in Messiah, cries out to him. And that's why we read in Zechariah 12, verses 8 through 10, that in the Old Testament, it says they will see the one whom they have pierced when Jesus comes back. It's beautiful. Now, it all fits together like, like a, you know, hand in a glove. And uh, it's just all so amazing what the Lord has done. Now, uh, he can't curse them. Verse 10, then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. Chapter 24, verse 10. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. And he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. But behold, you have persisted in blessing them these three times. He's, he's looking for wiggle room just like Balaam was, right? Therefore, flee your uh, place now. Get out of here, man. Uh, I said I would honor you with greatly, but behold, the Lord has held you back from honor. Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell you, your messengers whom uh, you had sent to me, saying, uh, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything contrary to the command of the Lord, either good or bad, of, uh, of my own accord, what the Lord speaks, that will I speak. He seems so faithful, too. So it's kind of interesting. There's a lot going on here. Then you keep reading. He, you know, he blesses them again and again. And, uh, you know, you get all these incredible prophecies regarding Israel and other nations as well. Like a series of seven or so. Three specific prophecies about uh, proclamations, different proclamations regarding blessing Israel. And then prophecies about other nations, too. But something really interesting happens. He can't curse them. But guess what? As long as they're in that cross formation, abiding in the cross, they're, they're safe. But guess what? To chapter 25, verse 1, something happens. A lot of those men leave the cross formation. Verse chapter 25, verse 1. While Israel, while Israel remained in Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Ooh, they started hanging out with the daughter, the wives of the Moabites. How did that happen? For they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Now they're turning away from Yahweh. The, the, the ancient Jews, the Hebrews, in the Talmudic literature and so forth, they said the biggest, the worst sin before God is idolatry. Well, I would actually say, you know, Jesus mentioned blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, but the most repeated sin throughout the Bible, is idolatry. And these women come, come to them and they seduce them into sexual relations. They then leave them and go into the camp of the Moabites having sexual relations with the pagan women. And they bat their eyes and they put their makeup on and they act seductively. They bring the men over. They have sex with them. They whip out their idols. Do you want more? And the men start worshiping their idols. And we read, verse 2, For they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor, to Baal. And the Lord was angry against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you slay his men and, uh, uh, who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Wow. So you're getting people just wiped out left and right, amen? They're just getting destroyed. And uh, what's heavy about this is now they're, be now they're under curse. 
because you, you're supposed to keep the law. If you break the law, well, if you broke everybody's sin, well, yeah, but then if you're abiding in the cross and trusting them with the Lord, you're going to be covered. But guess what? You're outside the cross, man. You've turned to other gods. And now, guess what? You're be, they're being executed. And if you keep reading the text, 24,000 of these, the, the Hebrews, the Jews, just got destroyed, got executed. It's pretty heavy what's going on there. And it's like, well, what's going on here? What happened all of a sudden? How did this all of a sudden happen? Because it doesn't say in the narrative right here, it just says what happened. It doesn't, we don't see what was going on in the background in the spiritual world with Balaam, any of that. We just see this happening. Well, listen to this, man. The Bible talks about the error of Balaam in the New Testament. Jude chapter 1, verse 11. There's only one chapter, really, if you want to call it a chapter. Verse 11. It talks about the way of Balaam in 2 Peter chapter 2. It talks about the doctrine of Balaam. Jesus references it in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. And when you read about the error of Balaam in chapter 2, what was his error in Revelation chapter, or Jude chapter 1, I should say, verse 11, the error of Balaam? It talks about the false teachers in verse 4 who turned the grace of God into a license for immorality. Hey, you're saved by grace. And it warns against these false teachers. It says, after God saved a people out of Egypt, he subsequently destroyed. After he saved them, once saved, he subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And by the way, uh, many translations say, after he once saved them out of Egypt, he destroyed those who didn't believe. And then it goes on to warn about these revilers who revile angelic majesties and how they defile the flesh, right? And they defile the flesh. And it says, woe to them. Woe to them, for they are, you know, have gone the way of Cain. Ooh. And it says that they have fallen in headlong into the error of Balaam. They fell in the error of Balaam. The love of money. The love of riches. Right? And perish in the way, or perish in the rebellion of Korah. He uses Cain and Korah, and sandwiched between is the error of Balaam. And then in 2 Peter chapter 2, he mentions the way of Balaam. He warns about false teachers among us, like the prosperity teachers today, the name and claim it crowd, which are by the millions and millions on TBN, the biggest so-called Christian station. Is, that's what they've got mostly, almost exclusively now, is all these word, faith, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, give to get rich. And these guys are basically fleecing the flock. And it says they, they deny the one who bought them, these guys in 2 Peter chapter 2. And, and it says they make merchandise of men, right? They make merchandise of men. It says that. And it says they make merchandise of men. It says many will follow their pernicious ways. It's what's happening today. And then in verses 15 through 22, it says they have forsaken the right way and they have fallen the way of Balaam. Isn't that interesting? In fact, uh, when we look at it, it says... In verse 15, they have forsaken the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness, but was rebuked, this is 2 Peter 2, but was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, uh, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For them, they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of the sinful nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. Who are they enticing? Those who are just escaping, new Christians, from those who live in error. Because they're not very discerning. So they start hearing, hey, God wants you to be rich. Name it and claim it. You're a little God. All of a sudden they fall for a false gospel. Okay? And this is the error. This is the way of Balaam. 
is to put riches and make, make, as Paul warned, those who teach that godliness is a means of financial gain. They're of a corrupt mind, he said. If you've come nothing into the world with nothing, you will leave with nothing in this world. Don't live for money. He says if you live for money, you'll be plunged into all kinds of destructive pains and you'll wander from the faith, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Are you with me today? Okay. So that's the way in the era of Balaam. The era of Balaam is, well, as one translation puts it in chapter or verse 11 of the book of Jude, uh, greedily they've gone after the error of Balaam. It's a love for money. What's the doctrine of Balaam? How do, what does Balaam have to do with what we just read in chapter 25? According to Jesus, Balaam couldn't curse them, but Balaam gave Balak the advice you, you could use your women and get them out of that cross formation. I don't know exactly what he said, but you know, if you can get them, entice them, just like what happened with, later with what, who Solomon, remember that? Wise man of the world, man, got enticed by his wives and turned to false gods near the end of his life. Wow. If you can do that, because I can't curse them from here, but you can get them to curse themselves. If you are in Christ and abiding in Jesus, you can't be cursed. But if you flee Christ and you start doing your own thing, you will be cursed. Thus saith the scripture. Because Jesus says to one of the churches, but I have a few, this is Revelation 2.14, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, King Balak, right, to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit fornication or sexual immorality. That's the doctrine of Balaam. Are you with me? Now, some will have a couple problems with the Genesis narrative. They'll say, well, first of all, God said he could go, and then God's saying don't go. What's going on? Is God schizophrenic? This looks like a contradiction of the Bible. That's one problem that they try to give to us. Number two, it's like, how do we know that was really the doctrine of Balaam, and Balaam actually gave him that counsel? Because when you read Numbers 22, 23, 24, and 25, it happens, but we don't know that Balaam was behind it. Well, I know very well that's what happened. Why? Because Jesus said so, and he rose from the dead. Okay? But guess what? I know also from the Old Testament that both of those charges of discrepancies are an error, just from the narrative, if you continue to look at the context, which is really, really heavy. So, first of all, go back now to chapter 22. This is really awesome. I love this. And this, you don't, you, you wanna, you don't wanna miss this, as my uh, 22 verse 12. What did God say initially to him in chapter 22 verse 12? What did he say initially to Balaam? God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Don't go with them, and you shall not curse the people. He made it very clear. And then when the people came back with the better, the big, better and bigger dignitaries, and they offered more, anything you want, guess what? He said, I can't do it. But you know what? Stay the night. I'll seek more information from God. Ooh. And then we find out from Deuteronomy 23.5 that he was pleading with God to curse Israel because it says in the scripture he did not listen to Balaam. Isn't that heavy? And it's even heavier because he tells the people, go ahead and stay the night. Look at verse 19 of chapter 22. Look closely now at the text. 22, 19. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, he tells them to stay the night, verse 19. Now please, you also stay here. Stay here tonight and I will find out what else the Lord will speak to me. And according to 23.5, he was pleading with God to curse him. God says no, though. Verse 20, God came to Balaam at night and said to him, now notice the word if. I always point out 
or often to point out to you, if is a big word. Two letters in our English language, but it has a big meaning. If, if the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. So they're going to spend the night. They're going to come and call you, go with them. But only the word which I speak to you shall you do. That is very, very interesting. The New King James Version puts it this way. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you. If, well, guess what Balaam does? He doesn't wait for them to come and call him that morning. He saddles with his donkey and goes to them. There's an if there. If they come. I mean, then you'll know that I'm going to let you go. They don't come. And guess what? They're going to probably be, I, they, Bala, I mean, the, those following Balak are going to probably be up there earlier in the morning. Come on, come on, come on, get up. They're not there yet. He rises up really early in the morning, beats them to the punch, and gets there with his donkey saddled. Well, you see it now, amen, bro. It's there, you know. That's why you got to pay real close attention to the text and the Word of God. So we see he wants to go all this time. Okay, and he goes, of course, and guess what? That's why God rebukes him. That's why he puts an angel for him. What are you doing? I didn't tell you to go. Otherwise, he could say, hey, Lord, you told me to go. But he's not like, he's like, hmm, I kind of woke up early in the morning. I'm just hoping you'll let me curse them. Because God saw, God will give you enough rope in the word to hang yourself if that's what you want to do. Okay? Because the savor of life to those who trust him, it's a savor of death, the Bible says. God's word, a savor of death to those who do not trust the Lord. Really, really, really heavy, man. So it's quite interesting. And by the way, well, how do we know, aside from what Jesus, Peter, and Jude say, that this is really what happened? I don't need to hear narrative in the Old Testament to see what happened. Because God, the New Testament, the Old is one God, amen? That's all we need. But you know what's really cool? If you keep reading past 22, 23, 24, and 25, you'll see, even in Numbers, it's spelled out for us what Balaam did. In fact, go to chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 31. He puts to death, God puts to death these Balaamite kings and leaders in chapter 31. And guess who he puts to death right along with them? Verse 8. They killed the kings of the Midian along with the rest of their slain, Evi and Rakim and Zer and Hur and Reba, the five kings of the Midians. And, and then they also, they also killed who? Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. They killed him. Why did they kill him? Well, go down to verse 16. Spells it out. Behold, these caused the sons of Israel through the counsel of who? Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. So the plague was among the congregation of the Lord. Right there in Numbers, before you read Jude, before Second uh, Peter's, before Jesus comments to one of the churches in Revelation, you read right there in the text that he counseled them to deceive the Israelites and get them out of the cross formation. You see that? It's right there, spelled out. Just read verse, chapter 31, verse 8. By the way, these are good answers because I try to equip you for witnessing to the lost on the streets, okay? And people that would come against God's word, and they'll sometimes bring up things like, well, how come God said go, you know? And, or he said, uh, you know, you could go, and then he stopped him. That's a contradiction? No, it's not. He told him not to go at first. He wanted to go. Deuteronomy says he was pleading with God to, to, to let him curse him. God said no. And then God said, only if they come to you then, because guess what? If they came, then God would still say, okay, now you can go. Because guess what? You guys keep pushing it. I'm going to show you that. I'm going to bless Israel anyway. And what Satan meant for evil, God turned into a blessing. He does that in our own lives. Amen? You show them that. 
Well, when the Old Testament, New Testament says this is what happened, but the Old Testament, you never see that it was. And you read those chapters, 22, 23, 24, and 25, if they are even, and most people when you witness to them are going to know this stuff, but some that skeptics will be like that. Well, how come it doesn't say in the Old Testament that Balaam counseled that? Well, yeah, it does. Chapter 31, verse 16. Chapter 31, he killed, God killed him because of it too. It's all there in the Old Testament. Praise God. Some lessons to behold. Uh, that we can learn from this. Number one, be aware there's a spiritual world all about us. Amen. The angel Lord appears, you know, sometimes animals react to demonic activity too. In your home even, you're like, what's that? You know, and you need to always stand with Jesus. Amen. And seek him. There's a spiritual world, but praise God, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Number two, two Christians, those who know their God, whose eyes are open to spiritual things, are the truly woke ones. Amen. Those, that's so, it's so ironic, those who are blinded by love for self and narcissism and occult powers, they call themselves woke. They're woke like Eve was woke. I'm God. I'll be God. Look, I'm God. I can kill my babies. I can have sex with anybody. And no, you're woke like Eve was woke. You're asleep in the dark, really. We're the true woke ones. Number three, fear God, man. Fear God. Then when you're truly awake, you'll see the angel of the Lord. You'll see who he really is. He's Jesus, man. And guess what? Just one angel of the angel of the Lord, it says, in Isaiah chapter 37, it talks about the Assyrians. There's 185,000 Assyrians that are killed in Isaiah 31, 37 by one angel. Just one. The angel of the Lord. Oh, by the way, what about the other angels that are angels, uh, ontologically speaking, by nature, but they're not by nature God. They're just angels. They got all this kinds of power, man. Jesus said he'd call Peter, lops off Malchus's ear when the Romans come to arrest Jesus. Peter said, Jesus says, put that sword away. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And then he says, Peter, you know, I can call 12 legions of angels. 12 legions of angels could be like 72,000. Can you imagine what an angel does? 185,000? You got 72,000 angels? Do the math. Okay. Wow. Crazy. So fear God, man, and bow down before the one true God. And exalt Jesus in your life. Live for him and put his word above all else. Amen. Number four, God curses those who curse Israel. Do not curse Israel. Don't say God's about us. It's all about us. Now God's done with Israel. And start to speak against Israel because he still has his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even as Joseph returned after feeding bread to the world back to Israel, God will return the truth back to us. Amen. Number five, he blesses those who bless Israel. Be a blessing to Israel. Amen. Be a, be, a, be a witness to Israel. We've gone a number of times to Israel. We're going to go again in the future, and we go to share the good news because it's come from Israel to us. Now we bring it back around to them, amen, and share the gospel. So we don't just go on a tour. We go on a tour, but we also do street witnessing and have a, a great time. Praise God, you guys. Number six, don't try to manipulate God. Don't seek to find loopholes because you might think you found one, and guess what? You're just hanging yourself. There's so many people that manipulate the Word of God to justify uh, greed, to justify adultery, to justify homosexuality, to justify having women pastors in the church when 2 Timothy 2 is very clear on the subject, to justify all kinds of things that are going on in this transformation where the church is becoming more and more like the world. Don't let that happen in your own life. Amen? Well, you know, Mormon comes to your door. Hey, guess what? You could be a Mormon. You could dress like me, all spiffy, and we got, you know, really, we, got, you know, we go to our stakes. Everything's really nice there, and you'll be taken care of. And, well, you know what? I, 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 well, just pray about it. 
See if you get a burn in the bosom. No, don't pray about it. The Bible warns about a different Jesus. Joseph Smith said, I'm, I'm, I did better than Jesus. I held the church together. Jesus couldn't hold the church together. He said that, volume two of the history of the church. Okay? He's a false prophet, made false prophecies. Oh, I'll go pray about it. Oh, I got a burden in the bosom. Ooh, no, no, you didn't. If you did, it was from the enemy. Or the pastor. It's like, honey, I got a phone call. I've been invited to preach at a bigger church with a much bigger salary. Really? Are you serious? Yeah. She goes, is it God's will? I'm going to go upstairs and pray about it. I'm going to get on my knees right now. He goes, she's rushing. She says, honey, honey, wait. You want me to go pray with you? She goes, he goes, no, 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 no. Just pack the bags, pack the bags. We have to watch it, okay? Don't be saying, God spoke to me and said, this is okay. If it's contrary as well, he didn't speak to you and say yes. Amen? Be very, very careful about those types of things. Next, there's power in the cross, man. Power in what Jesus did on the cross, amen? Those encampments I've talked to you about that were in the form of a huge three million person or so cross. He couldn't curse them while they were in the cross. Numbers 23, which we uh, skipped over, but I read now. But he has looked at the misfortune in Jacob, nor has he, I'm sorry, nor uh, he has not looked at misfortune in Jacob. This is part of the prophecy of Balaam. Nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the joyful shout of the king is among them. The King James Version says that he has not found iniquity in Jacob. Wait, no iniquity in Jacob? Israel blew it. Big time, over and over again. Ah, but while they were in the cross and while we're in Christ, if we're, we're justified, amen. So Balaam is able to say, hey, Balaam, amen. Balaam is able to say, man, I don't see, I don't see iniquity. I find no iniquity to curse them. Wait a minute, they're not perfect. None of us are perfect, man. But if you are in Christ, the Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all, all things have become new. Uh, old things have passed away and all things have become new. And the Bible says that Christ became sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God. Amen? So while we are in Christ and we're trusting Jesus with truly repentant hearts where we're looking to Jesus as the one who sacrificed himself, amen, the Bible says that God passes over us because he sees like the cross, the Passover blood. He sees the cross. He passed over the destruction that we deserve, fell upon Jesus, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for our sins and he rose again. Amen? amen. Praise God. And as long as we abide in the cross, now those guys that left the cross, woo, 24,000 were put to death. John 15, 6, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me abides in Jesus, man, what he did for us on the cross. He goes, he says he'll bear much fruit, but at 15, 6, but he says if he does not abide in me, he'll wither and he'll die and I'll cut him off like a branch and throw that branch into the fire. They did not abide in the cross. You abide in Jesus. Don't fall for any deception. Oh, guess what? I can just sin like hell and I'll still inherit the kingdom of God because once I've been saved, I'm always saved. And then you depart from Jesus like they did. These things were written down for our instruction. So we don't follow the way that they fall, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm saved no matter what I do. No, you're saved while you've got trust in Jesus, man. But you have to abide in the vine, amen? Or you'll wither, be cut off, and thrown in the fire and burned. God's word is good. Yes. Number eight, don't love money. Talked about that. That was the last message on Wednesday. A lot about it. We've talked about that. It's just a lesson. These are 10 applications. So I'd like to bring applications to you of the messages and lessons you can learn to bring home with you. And that's number nine. And number 10 is don't love pleasure. Balaam loved money, but the guys that left the camp, they loved pleasure more than God, didn't they? And they were destroyed because they don't love pleasure more than God. He's given us all things you enjoy, but you enjoy them in Christ. And then you truly enjoy them. Amen. And you're blessed with true godly pleasure. Number 10. 
if God could use a donkey, he could use you and me. <laughs> Amen? I'm like, Lord, there's a lesson right here for sure. Yeah. If he could use a donkey, he could use you and me. Yeah. Well, I've got to go to seminary, and I've got to do all these things, and then finally I could go street witnessing. No, man. In fact, guess what? Street witnessing, go to seminary, go to godly seminary, great, but go street witnessing too. Well, I got to wait for years before I can street witness. Man, how long did the Samaritan woman wait? Not even hours. I mean, she just left Jesus and brought people to Christ. Amen. Well, I can't speak very well. Moses couldn't speak at all. God said, I will be with your mouth, Moses. Even Paul, sometimes he's accused of having weak speech, and he prayed, Pray for me that I may speak the gospel boldly. And he spoke powerfully for God. Amen. Seek the Lord. If he use a donkey, he can use you. Amen. And he can use me. Number 11, just two more. There's answers to Bible difficulties. Oh, well, what about this? I love it, man, because those, the answers, when I find the answers, they actually make the text even more powerful. Isn't that crazy? And number 12, the ultimate answer is in what Jesus did in the cross for each and every one of us. Amen. And Lisa and I, yesterday, uh, we were shopping, and, uh, and my wife, she's like, yeah, we're done, we're driving home. She goes, I love shopping with you, and I hate shopping with you. <laughs> Just, you know, a little transparency here, we're driving home. And I thought she'd say, because I take so long, because I said, hey, baby, because she goes, we'll go here, we'll go here, we'll go here, and we need stools for the Fight the Good Fight studio, right, for the shows we do up there, because the stools are just... You know, I'm too big a guy for a little tiny stool, man. And Chad's like, ah, these are so uncomfortable, you know. And finally, after having those things for a few years, I, you know, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go look, you know. And Chad's been looking too. So, and Lisa's like, I got a great place, you know, that we could go to in the valley. And I'm like, okay. I go, just let you know, baby, I want to get back because we just went to Justice's game. I want to get back for Eli's game because she's, we'll go there. Then we'll go to Thousand Oaks. I go, and I got to put my mess together stuff. And we got people coming over later, all this stuff. And she's like, but she wants to do it right, right? And I go, Let's just go. We can hopefully find the right thing right away. You know, that's me. I'm so sorry. And she's like, and I told her, I go, baby, I've sat with you for hours when you don't get anything, eight, 10 hours at these shopping centers when you're trying everything on. And you, eight, 10 hours later, for sure, ask her. And you go home with zero that day. I'm glad she doesn't spend money too. But I'm like, and there was no cell phones back then. I'm just sitting there waiting for you to change. I've always done that for you. You know, be harder now, you know. Uh, but easier, actually. We got a cell phone. I could do work while she's there. And I bring books and stuff like that when I have to do something like that. But she doesn't usually drag me along, right? But she used to, you know, I love her. But she goes, so I thought she was talking about because I was witness, witnessing there. Because I spent, we spent like 45 minutes. She goes, no, because she loves it when I witness, she says. But she goes, no, it's like you want to get things real quick and be out of there. I know I just got so much going on, but because what I did is we went in there and there's like hundreds, there's actually a couple hundred or so different stools. This place called Sitting Pretty, you know? And I was like, and I'm looking for a specific type of stool. And I go in there. I'm not in there five, seven seconds. I walk in there. And the stools are all in this section. It's a huge place. Big, giant warehouse kind of thing. And I go, oh, there it is. She's like, what? I bring her. I go, this is the stool. And it was it. And we looked at it, and we ended up getting it, that stool. And we got three of them. And she's like, how do you? I go, look at all this. This is it. And we looked at the stools afterwards when the ladies to see if there's more. And everything we looked at was not it. That was it. I felt that was the answer to my prayer. I was like, Lord, could we find it quick? You know? and, we, and we got it. But then we spent another almost hour there. Because I started witnessing to the owner. Lisa was sharing with me as well. And, and, she's, and there's you know, different employees and different people walking around. And I was like, because I said, hey, can I get a deal on this? I'm going to get a couple of them. Can you give me some kind of break? You know? And uh, she dropped 40 bucks off of each stool. You know? And then uh, I thought, oh, man, we need a third stool because they need a match. And we have guest speaker, guest on the program. We need a third stool. I go, hey, you know what? 
can I get one more soul? And then you drop it 20 more bucks each, you know? And she's like, yeah, you know, she's a Jewish lady, you know, and she's a real sweet lady. And uh, about Lisa, my age, maybe a few years younger, and we're talking to her. And, and then I was like, and we're talking, and she said a couple things. I thought, you know, I'm going to witness to her. I started sharing the gospel with her. And I love prophecy as a witness for Christ. And I gave her my testimony, short version, how I came to Christ. And I use Israel's rebirth as a nation. I go, you know, you're, you're Jewish. And she owns the place. And you're Jewish, and, and Israel's all in Bible prophecy. They became a nation again, May 14th, 1948. And God said, I go, when I became a Christian, I saw the God of the Old Testament said that because I, I was in all kinds of occultism and stuff, and I realized this is one true God because I was writing against this God. I never even checked him out. Then I check him out, and he says, I'm the only God that tells you the end from the beginning. And he said, Israel, my ancient nation, I'm going to tell you her future, and no one else could do that. If you go to your fortune tellers, your astrologers, they can't even deliver themselves from the flame, but I tell you the end from the beginning. And I'm sharing with her the prophecy of Israel and how she became a nation again. And she goes, yeah, I noticed this even Evangelical Christians are the best friend Israel has. They support the state of Israel more than anybody. I'm like, yeah, that's because we know God's plan about the future, and you're part of it. The gospel has come to you first and then to us Gentiles. And I began to just share with her. I took her from Genesis to Revelation. I took her through typologies and everything. I took her through Moses, the type of Jesus, Joseph being rejected by his brothers, then accepted, and then seeing Joseph, who they pierced after he fed the world as a picture of Jesus. And I took her through all these different types of pictures. And then I realized, I thought, okay, a worker came up to her, right? And I saw these people are coming up and then kind of going by, and I've had her for like 25 minutes, and she's got customers there. And I go, hey, by the way, remember that 20 bucks off that you gave me each stool of of all three stools after the 40, I want to give that back to you. I'm paying you to list them now. She wasn't trying to get away. I just want to make sure if she tried to get away, we got a bargain now. Okay? And she goes, and she goes, yeah, no, that's no problem. Yeah, I'm enjoying listening. And as we're talking, she kept saying, ask Lisa, she goes, it all makes sense. You know, wow. And, that, and I showed her, the, you know, the Afikoma. You practice the, the Jewish Seder. You got the three pieces of bread, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Middle one's taken out, broken put in cloth and buried. That's a picture of Jesus. Whoever gets it gets a reward. Jesus rose from the dead. He's the second person trying God. He was broken. He said, this is my body. It's a picture of him. She, wow, it makes so much sense. Isaiah 53, I share all that with her. And praise God. I, I said, hey, I wrote down my wife Lisa's number when we uh, were, were paying. And I said, this is my wife's number. You have more interest in the gospel. I go, please call my wife and we'll sit down and have lunch with you. We'll pay, we'll come and everything. And she writes it up and she goes, you know that $20 you know, I go, no, I'm not, that's not negotiable. I'm, I've given that back to you. She goes, no, I'm going to make it $10. We're going to spit it in the middle of that extra. I go, okay, no problem. You can do that, you know. So you, you bless Israel, you get blessed. <laughs> amen. Okay. You guys want, you, you want to, <laughs> God is good, amen. I just thought of that just now. Like, wait a minute, I got blessed back. I bless Israel, get blessed. Okay, pray for her, really sweet lady and, and pretty things. I mean, if you're looking for some furniture or something, man, they, you know, really good stuff there too. She didn't give me any money to say that. Just, you know. Uh, but love you guys. And uh, the main thing is we know Jesus. Amen. Don't love money more than Jesus. Don't even make it a second, close second. Because then if it's close second, you may be finding loopholes and do yourself in. Love him more than pleasure. Love him more than everything. Jesus said, you can't be my disciple unless you take up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Follow me. Amen. Make sure you're following Jesus. Let's pass out the cup and the bread. I know we went late today, but we